Good morning. The good news is the vicar did not take my robe. But I decided to match Pastor Dan today and and not wear it up here when he wasn't. Grace and peace is ours through our Lord Jesus Christ. We are in a sermon series. That's no secret. The uh, series is about the Apostles' Creed. and The Creed has three paragraphs. The third paragraph is featured today and next Sunday, and it starts like this. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints. Think of those phrases together. It is the Holy Spirit who has created the Christian Church by spreading the good news about Jesus Christ. And that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about what it means to have real faith. What does it mean to have real faith? It almost sounds like an unfair question, doesn't it? It was 1928 in July. Chief Alchesay, you can look that up on your phone, you won't offend me. You can find an image of him. Chief Alchesay in the White Mountain Apache tribe lay on his deathbed, 1928. He was in his mid-70s. He had, been, he had grown up in the late 1800s a child of his culture among the Apache Indians, believing their 31 stories about animals talking to each other and how they define faith and religion and a worldview based on mostly spiritism, worship of the, the ancestors and the animals in nature. He believed as he was growing up that the medicine man, others would call that man a shaman, that man was was the spiritual light to the metaphysical, the outside of the physical world. And at 19, he became a scout for the U.S. Army. Uh, he, he went with the army to chase Geronimo all the way into Mexico to try to settle the wars between the Apaches and the Americans. He even became a, a diplomat and sat with Geronimo and talked him into surrender, which he did later, a year, a year later. And the, in 1886, the wars ended. Geronimo was only in his, what, 53 to 86, he was 30s. He went back home into Arizona, lived, settled in North Fork, and there he farmed and lived out his Apache life. While he was running around chasing Geronimo with the Americans, two Lutheran pastors, missionaries from our own church, had come to the Apache reservation wanting to reach a people group in America Finding, looking for one that had never really heard the gospel, and they found the Apache tribe. These missionaries started talking about Jesus, gathering around trees, trying to get build a, a church building, and it happened under Geronimo's watch and under his nose. Over several years, he was tempted but didn't go, and finally, as an older man, he darkened the door of our church and asked if he could be taught in his old age what the church taught. And it was a monumental day when Alchisay walked into the church and was baptized for the forgiveness of his sins and came to believe in Jesus Christ. And it created an open door to the whole tribe when their chief renounced all the spiritism of a culture that had a dead end and believed in the timeless gospel. He did not believe that Jesus was a white man's God. He believed that Jesus was the real God. The real God who came and sent his son to save all people. 
and he had real faith. When he lay on his deathbed in 1928, his family and friends who did not believe in Jesus, they, they sent for the medicine man, and he came. And they, with the medicine man, said, you're not going to be sick unto death. We're going to call up some, some spirits, and we're going to breathe life into your broken body, and you're going to live. And he said, get that man out of here. And he drove them out of his room. He said, send me Pastor Gunther. He'd tell me the truth. And so they went and got Pastor Gunther, and he came in, and everybody else was pushed out. And he said, Pastor, medicine man, lie to me. You tell me the truth. Am I dying? And the pastor said, yes. The doctor says that you're not going to survive this when your body is broken. You're going to die. But remember, I'll just say, I brought you eternal life, the gospel, the good news, that there's a place for you at Jesus' side. You'll live in his mansion forever. All of your sins are forgiven. And they read scripture together and prayed together. And I'll just say, short time after that died, a happy man. Why did I tell you that story? I told you to point out that the Christian faith is the real faith. And once you've experienced what it means to be given the forgiveness of the eternal God and the clarity that the hope that we have is not on our shoulders but on His and His Son and that there's a place because He's rescued us that we will get to spend eternity, you become a defender and a champion and you become very zealous to hang on to it yourself because you've experienced what's called the gospel, the good news. And the Holy Spirit has converted you from believing the ideas of just people to believing an idea that was revealed from heaven. And that's what happened, I'll just say. And he's a great example in just living out his life, hanging on to the good news of Jesus Christ. It is a, and I want you to remember these two words, it is a benevolent boast that Christians have that this is the real faith. It is not a self-egocentric, ethnocentric, culture-centric, white man's belief. It is a boast that's benevolent from heaven that Jesus Christ, that we trust in, is the God who's always been there, who created all things, that holds everything together by His powerful word and sent His Son for all people to be saved, and that all Other religions were created by people after the one true God made the world and was kicked out of the garden by his own creatures, Adam and Eve. And he had to come back and announce that he was sending a Savior, the first book of the Bible, chapters 1 through 3. And he said, I'll put enmity between you, devil, and the woman, and I will send a Savior, and someday he'll crush your head, but you will wound him, you'll strike his heel. And there he talked about from the very first book of the Bible, the coming of his Son. This gospel has spread all over the planet long before we were ever a twinkle in our Father's eye. Thousands of years, it has permeated cultures and changed and swept through people and changed their lives, making them willing to give up their own identity and their own cultural religion that led to nowhere to grasp that good news of Jesus Christ that brings peace now in this lifetime and for eternity. And they and us have always said, we have experienced this, and it's the truth. Why do I talk so boldly about this right now in Austin, Texas, where one of the largest universities for reason and thinking exists? Because we in our city are a classic example of the unbelief 
of the world that leads Christians to sort of cower and get shy and say, yes, we know that we, are, we have an idea about God and we know it's one idea among many. And yes, everybody has a right to their own opinion. And so you might be right too. Then we fall off the cliff. And our own trust in our own gospel sometimes is betrayed by our reason that's given to us by our culture. Try this thought on for size. Yes, I agree with the American thought that everyone has a right to their own faith and their own opinion. Everyone has a right to that. But that does not make everyone right. We wouldn't accept that in so many other disciplines, right? If I said to you boldly this morning, Abraham Lincoln was the 19th president of the United States. Those of you that know your history real well would say what? He was the 16th, right? But I said, I have a right to my own opinion. And I have the floor, right? And some of the little kids that really trust me might go home and correct their parents. Pastor said he's the 19th, right? And you say, I don't care what pastor said. Well, you don't care what pastor said. You see how it goes? Tim Mull is an electrical contractor. I don't, he's worked, had me work with him on a project. I don't think he wants me working to wire any businesses. Because I'm the kind of guy that would say, I think we turned all the breakers off. Just try it and see. <laughs> that doesn't make me right, does it? Just as I think that. It's the same with faith. There is a, there, there is a body of truth. It's objective truth. Many people think they found it and they haven't, but that doesn't make them right. How do I know that I'm right? Really good question. That's, that's you spend your whole life struggling with that, and I'm not going to make you struggle with an all-night sermon like we talked about Bible class today for me to try to answer all the questions. But I will say this. The Apostle Paul had grown up believing that this thought in his kind of Judaism was the truth And he believed it so well and was so well educated in it. And he was so sure that he was willing to because his culture taught it to arrest people and put them have them put to death for believing otherwise. And the thought was this. God has come from heaven and given us his Ten Commandments and all the other Jewish laws. And he wants everybody to keep them. Anyone who would speak against the Jewish laws, including the Ten Commandments, hates God and is deserving of death. He believed that he and his friends were on the road to heaven and they were the ones like an Olympic champion training to get there. And then Jesus knocked him off his horse when he was going to arrest some Christians and taught him that he had already saved Paul and the whole planet and that Paul was running in the wrong direction. What an amazing story, right? And from then on, Paul re-studied the Scriptures. He went away for three years, and he studied through the whole Scripture. What, what Scripture did he have? He had the Old Testament, but nobody called it that. Do you know what they called it? The Law and the Prophets. The first five books were called the Law. The last 17 were called the Prophets. The 17 plus 5 in the middle were called the Wisdom Writings. 
and, and the historical books. And together they made up what we call the Old Testament. And that was their Bible. And he knew how to read it in, his, in Hebrew. And he knew how to had access to study it. But he had always studied it with the wrong set of glasses. He'd always been looking for the laws and how to keep them, but not the story of the promise of a Savior. And once Jesus knocked him off his horse, that Jesus had died for us and risen again, Paul went back and started finding all the promises of a Savior. And he was convinced much more than Alchesay, the chief, ever was. And he was inspired. And he spread the good news because it's a benevolent boast that we have the truth for all people. And he wanted to go to Spain because he always wanted to go somewhere where nobody's yet heard it until the day he died. And he had already exhausted all the ideas he had for Asia, which is Turkey for him, for us, and Greece, and he, he wrote the Romans in Italy, and somebody had already got the gospel spread throughout Italy, so he wanted to ricochet off of Italy and head to Spain. But he'd not been to Italy, Rome, Italy, and so he wrote him a letter called Romans in your Bible. And the letter says, this is what I teach and this is what I believe and I'm not ashamed of it. That's chapter 1, verse 16. I'm not ashamed of the good news. And he starts developing the message that he teaches in print. And now for generations and generations, Christians like us have read it for their own soul's growth. And today, when we talk about the apostles' creed, we read the words of the apostle Paul in Romans 3 while he's talking about the real faith, as opposed to the false faith that he used to teach, as opposed to the false faith he kept running into in the Gentiles. He used to teach a Jewish false faith. There was a Gentile false faith. And here he goes in Romans 3. And he says that this faith is real because it's about the real God. Look at verse 21 in Romans 3. If you don't have your Bible out, go to page 8 of the folder. Like we always do, we print it out for you. Take a long pause here so you reset your listening dial. Ready? Look at this verse. But now apart from the law, the Ten Commandments, or the Jewish law, the righteousness of God you could circle these words for today, has been made known. To which the Bible testifies. Law and prophets is their way of talking about the Old Testament. To which the Bible we have testifies. He's saying, as Paul, I found out that the Bible talks about a righteousness from God. And it's been made known. There's a whole bunch of ideas wrapped up in the words been made known been made known means you can't make it up yourselves people god had to reveal it from heaven the good news that god rescued us is found nowhere in any other world religion in fact boldly with benevolence we can say there really are only two world religions There is the world religion identified in lots of different cultures springing out of the hearts of people that either through mysticism, 
contact with the spiritual world, moralism, getting all your laws and your behavior in order and your thoughts in mind and controlling your, all of that, or your intellect and your reason like Scientology. All, all these religions say you got to work your way to heaven like an Olympian champion till you get the gold. And there's only one religion that says you're all losers, but I love you. And so I'll come down and I'll rescue you. None of you are champions, but you're all children that I made and that I died for and that I love. And it was made known by the real God. All through the Law and the Prophets, the Old Testament, the real God has to keep making the false gods look bad by His powerful grace. And his powerful miracles. What I'm trying to say, it's nothing new that today you and I have to defend the faith against other religious ideas. It was in Paul's day when, we, when he wrote this. It was all through the Bible he was looking at. There was the God of the Babylonians, the God of the Persians, the God of the Jews that they had gotten all mixed up about. And then there was Jesus. And all through history in the Bible and today, we're always going to have to defend this. Not everybody can be right, but everybody has a right to believe what they want. And there's a good reason why we believe what we say. It's a benevolent boast. We found the truth, and the truth has found us, and we're at peace. Get rid of the medicine man. Get rid of the philosopher. Get rid of the atheist. Get rid of all these religions and bring in Jesus and somebody who talks his language because I want to know the truth that, I, that touched my life before. And what is it? Here it comes again. The real God reveals a real salvation. I'm going to let Paul explain it. Verse 22. This righteousness from God is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There's no difference between Jews like Paul or Gentiles like the Romans, secular people. For all people have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Did you watch the long jump yesterday? The sand in the long jump is so long that not even the best guy could jump across it and hit the pavement. That's good, right? If that distance, though, was between two cliffs and every, there was a big forest fire and everybody's standing on the cliff and we all had to jump across to the other side and the cliff was 50 feet, Right? The best jumper that got the gold yesterday couldn't make it. Everyone, including the one that said, I'll do it. All of us. All have fallen short of the glory of God. That's the first half of the great message. You say, that doesn't sound so great. It's the truth. But, verse 24, all are justified. That's declared innocent. Freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Did you hear Dan say, if the vicar took my robe, and we're not sure yet, he's got grace to cover him. He's innocent. We declared him innocent, although that little booger ran off with the wrong robe. He's forgiven by grace. Well, God couldn't hear the rest of this paragraph is dependent on what I'm about to say. God could not give grace to us if He did not satisfy His justice and still be God. 
Because God and everyone who has natural knowledge of God in their heart knows that justice is real. Justice is right and wrong, and those who do wrong must be punished to right the wrong. So watch what happens. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. God solved the problem. Anybody who has children or teaches children knows that kids create problems that only adults can fix. It's kind of the biggest ripoff of being an adult. And you don't discover how ripped off you are until you become one. That there's problems created by kids that you ha- only you can fix. We are all children, creatures made by God. And we have all created a problem for God. The problem is, he doesn't want to lose us. Why did God make people in the first place? Well, I ask that question sometimes. Maybe you do. He made us people because he wanted to fellowship with people as creatures made in his own image. He wanted friends. So he made all these friends for himself, and all of us are born enemies. He's got a problem. Ungrateful, selfish, Gods of our own destiny, wanting him to fellowship with us, but not wanting to fellowship with him. And justice says, and he doesn't want to do that because he's God and he loves us. He had a problem. So what did he do? He put Jesus on the cross, satisfied his justice, and gave us his love. Finish verse 25, to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his rightness, righteousness, because in his patience, forbearance, He had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. Do you know what that means? All through history, until Jesus died on the cross, everyone that went through life looking at bad guys, even if they had to look close to home to somebody who hurt them in their family, they would say, God, how come you don't punish them? And until Jesus died on the cross, he did not say, I put my son on the cross and I punished him in your place until Jesus died on the cross. And now what does God say when you go, why don't you get the bad guys? He goes, because I punished my son in their place. And by the way, you're one of the bad guys. And I punished my son in your place too. And so the reason I let them live is so they might find the grace in my son whom I punished in their place. I've satisfied the justice. You can't criticize me. I paid it myself for every bad guy, including you. So in his forbearance, he left them unpunished until Jesus came. He did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time. That means now I, a New Testament guy, and you, a New Testament guy and gal, you have a righteousness to tell people about. You can demonstrate that God is just and that God is love, love and justice, and that they met on the cross in this present time called the what? The church, the New Testament era. The time in which while warriors go out to fight, preachers come behind and bring the peace of Christ to their people. Right? He did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. God doesn't, it isn't enough for us to go, okay, God, you punished Jesus in your place, so, okay, we get it, you're still just. He goes, no, I want to be the one that justifies you 
because I know that your biggest problem is your guilt over your sin that's in your heart, that, that's the guilt that's between you and me. And you won't come home until you know how much I love you and that I've removed the justice. And frankly, I won't receive you home until I've paid the justice. And now I've paid it. Now I need you to know that it's paid and I need to bring you home. So you need to believe it. And if you believe it, we're okay. Because for crying out loud, God says, I gave up my only son. He said, oh no, I have to be really religious to earn it. He goes, that would insult me. It'd be like a child saying to the parent, I need to work to pay off this present. Or a parent saying to the child, you need to work to pay off this present. God says, I freely forgave you in my son. And I am just and the justifier. I want to be known as the one that justifies you, declares you innocent. Do you believe that? If you do, you're not perfect in your behavior, but you've been declared perfect before God. If you do, there are some results in your life because you now have what the Bible calls the dynamo or the power of God's gospel in your heart. And one of the very first results that shows you are real in your faith is you have humility. It's a benevolent boast. It's a humble boast. But you know you are a sinner who's loved by God rather than this great, wonderful person that God just couldn't stand not having you around because you're so good and you're so cool, right? You're humble because you know you were lost and rescued. Did you watch any of the rescues yesterday on the news that were happening in the Louisiana because of the floods. I saw a 95-year-old lady get in a boat. She loved her house. She didn't want to leave her house, but the waters rose, and they said how fast she started crying. She said they rose very fast. Everything she was proud of was gone, and, she's, and they said, reporters ask some of the craziest questions sometimes, how does it feel losing your whole household? Well, it feels really great, thank you. No, she said it feels awful, but then she said with a smile, I'm really glad because these people saved me and I got my life. I'm still here. She's humble, isn't she? Christians are humble when you know you were lost and God rescued you. Another fruit of it is is peace. People, many people are looking for peace and don't know it. Everyone wants peace. But many people don't know that's what they're looking for and they're trying to figure out how to make it happen. And peace with God only comes through the knowledge of Christ. When you know that you could come home to God any minute, and He will always say, I've already paid for the debt that you caused. Suddenly you come home more often, and you pray to Him more often, and you like hanging out with God more often in your heart, and you become a friend of God in all circumstances, and you have peace. You also have peace with others. Because your goal is not to win or get your way. Your goal is to what? It's to share the love and the forgiveness and give them room to grow. You also, as a result of faith in Jesus, have a growing love in your life. First of all, love for God. A lot of people don't want to admit it. Even Christians especially don't like to admit this. But a lot of times we're angry with God. Because he has allowed so much trouble or sorrow or suffering in our lives and he's God and could change that 
And so we'll be angry at him. But if you know Jesus, who entered our suffering as the perfect son of God and died so you could get a way out to heaven, and you know you're forgiven, stinker that you are, you have a thought about God's love even when you're suffering. So often, and I can think of in particular times where I've been at the side of a Christian who's suffering. I remember one lady coming to her side and I said, I need to know if you're angry at God because of your terrible suffering. And she immediately said, there's no way I could be angry with God because he put his son on the cross for me. That message is real faith. That message creates real faith. That message creates a relationship that is not touched by reality in circumstances, but it's a real faith, isn't it? It's a real result of peace with God and not anger toward God, but love toward God. And it shows love toward God even in the darkest times. That was Jesus on the cross. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Before that, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing. In love. Why have you forsaken me? I love you. Right? Never once anger. That gospel creates love inside of you for other people. We're born wanting people to earn our love. We want people to be lovable. And if you're lovable, I'll love you. And Jesus looked at his generation and he goes, How good are you if you just love your friends? The tax collectors do that. He said... No, I'm telling you, love your enemies. And he knew, he knew we could not do it without him. It makes you beg for help in your soul in prayer to the God who saved you to teach you how and give you the power to love someone you really don't like. But when I'm saying these words, you're nodding in your soul because you have Jesus. You have real faith. And even though you're not perfect at it, you have it and you know it works. That's a result of real faith. You know it's wrapped around the Christ who says, love them the way that I loved you. And you have real results in love. And we have real hope. I hope it's not brand new news to you and you know the man, but our dear brother in Christ, Elmer Foskey, was taken to glory. He was just here in this service a week ago, right? And this Friday he was mowing his grass and the Lord took him to heaven. What hope could I bring to the Foskey family if I did not have Jesus? I would just be a medicine man. I might come and say, like medicine men do in the Apache Reservation, we're going to come and ask the spirits who's the cause of this death, and we're going to put a hex on their family. They still say that and do that today. No. I brought what you would bring, and what they brought is a family to me. We know where he is. He's at Jesus' side. We are upset and grieve, and we'll never get over the grief until we go. But we know hope. The hope we have is that he's with Jesus. That's a real result of having the real faith is hope. And I hope in this life that God will work everything out for my good, even when I can't see How? Right now. Because I'm not God and he doesn't have to show me. He wants me to trust him in hope. All of these things I'm talking about come out of the real faith in a real God who really rescued us. And so we have a benevolent benevolent boast. What is real faith? 
when we say, I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, it's believing in the real God who has a real plan of salvation that he saved us instead of us saving ourselves, and it has real results in our life. Don't be ashamed of that. Defend it. Proclaim it. But do it with benevolence. And don't be proud of yourself. Because you didn't come up with it, and you weren't even going to listen if the Holy Spirit hadn't come and converted you with it. Instead of being ashamed or being proud, just be real. Be a real Christian. Amen.